Okay, I've been told we do have kids worship this morning. So, if you're a children, uh, you're a child, pre-K, kindergarten, uh, through age six, you can go back and see Mr. George. And as they are doing that, I want to invite you to open up your Bible, if you have a copy of God's Word, to Psalm 127, verses 1 through 5. That'll be our text this morning. And if you're following uh, along in one of the chairback Bibles, you can find it on page 518, 518, Psalm 127. The title of the message this morning is Builder of House and Home, and that is God is Builder of House and Home, or should be anyway. In Psalm 127, verses 1 through 5, we have a psalm that is written by Solomon. It has Solomon's name uh, addressed to it. And Solomon is speaking uh, about, out of his own life, he's speaking about God's sovereignty and, and, and God's providence in the midst of life. And he's calling us to a place of trust and dependence upon God. And as we consider this text this morning, I want to ask us, who is the one who's building our home? Who is the one that has built our home, that has built our house? Who is the one that we are depending upon? If you found your place in Psalm 127, verse 1, say amen. Follow along as I read. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame. When he speaks with his enemies in the gate, let us pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you be exalted. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts to, uh, to understand, to love your word, our minds to comprehend your word, and our eyes to see the truth of your word. And we pray, Father, that you would take your word and seal it into our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would use your word to water the seed of the gospel this morning in some of our lives. And I pray, God, that you would add to the fruit of our lives through your word today. And Lord, we, we beg of you that you would speak to us. And Lord, we confess that unless you speak to us, then even our listening is found to be in vain this morning. And so, Father, speak, for your children are listening. Now I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This psalm challenges us to see God's sovereignty and God's providence on display Children of God actually are are called to lives of dependence. We must exercise dependence upon God in all the works of our hands. And Solomon cautions us against a life that leaves God out. Because a life that leaves God out is a life that's lived in vain. Think about it for a moment. It would be 
the height of vanity or of emptiness to arrive at the end of life on earth only to look back and to see all the works of our hands as pointless, as meaningless. I believe that deep within every person is a desire to matter. Deep within every person, we we have a desire to have purpose, to have meaning in the lives of others, and to be productive in the works of our hands. We want our lives to count and to make a difference. And this morning, I want us to see that our lives will achieve their greatest purpose when God is the centerpiece of our lives, directing our work and shepherding our days. So the first point I want us to see this morning in verses 1 and 2 is this. We are exhorted to trust in God's providence. Two exhortations in the text this morning. We're exhorted to trust in God's providence and we're exhorted to enjoy God's provision. But first, being exhorted to trust in God's providence. You know, God's providence challenges our aspirations, right? It challenges every dream that we might have, every hope that we might have of attaining some level in our lives, some level of perfection, some level of of achievement, some level of, of status. God's providence challenges man's aspirations. And here's the thing, we should never think for a minute that we can outsmart God, or that we've got the leg up on God. In fact, let us never be found working against God. It would be vanity. Instead, let us always be found working with and for God. And so I want to give us this morning three confessions which will guard our lives against vanity and fruitlessness. Those three confessions, the first one is, God directs our labor Look at the first part of verse 1. God directs our labor. Unless the Lord builds the house, right? Those who labor are those who build it labor in vain. Notice what Solomon doesn't say or isn't saying in this first part of the verse. He's not saying that unless the Lord consents or, yeah, I'm okay with that happening in your life. No, he's saying unless the Lord builds it. In other words, he's saying that God's work is required for this venture, for this thing to be successful in your life. Unless God builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. He's also not saying that the labor is done without the work of his people. No, in fact, I think we see quite the opposite at work in the life of God's people That is, that God desires His people would have an active part to play in God's work. So this isn't an excuse to sit back and do nothing. No, it's a call offensively to go on the offense, to to pursue God, to depend upon Him, to trust in Him, to accomplish that which we could never accomplish in and of our own strength. And it's ultimately a challenge for us to come to God with everything we have, all of our plans, and say, God, it's yours. You lead me. You direct me. You build it. Well, in what sense does the Lord build the house? The most prominent house, especially in connection with Solomon, the most prominent house we think about would be the Lord's temple. Solomon built the grand temple of the Lord, the place of God's dwelling, and he used thousands upon thousands upon thousands of 
men and women within the people of Israel to build this temple, to prepare and to do all of the work and all of the crafting to make this temple a place of beauty and perfection. There are many senses, though, in which the Lord builds the house. Scripture shows us there are many different ways he he, he builds the house, but in all the ways that Scripture affirms God builds the house, He always does so through His people. He rebuilds the temple through Ezra after it's torn down. Psalm 69 tells us that He builds the cities of Judah. Psalm 51, that He builds Jerusalem's walls. Psalm 89.4, that He builds David's throne. Psalm 147.2, that He builds the city of Jerusalem. We see in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that he builds his people, right, into a spiritual house. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he says, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. The point I want us to see here, the connecting point that I want us to see here is that God is the one that's designing, that's building, that's working in our lives. Even as a community of faith, God is the one who is at work in our lives, building us up even into a spiritual house. And what we need to see from the text is that working with, working with and for God yields satisfying and enjoyable labor for God's people. In other words, there's great joy in working for God. There's great joy in accomplishing the work that he has set out for us to do. And the call of this passage is to come to God and to exercise dependence upon God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, we're told of Christ's work. In fact, Paul says that we are, you and I, as the children of God, are God's workmanship, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, the point is, for all who have come to faith in Christ, we are created anew, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're created anew in his image, in his likeness. We're, we're birthed anew, John chapter 3. We are His workmanship. God has done this work in us, creating us anew through Jesus Christ so that we might accomplish good works for the glory of God in the midst of the world. So Solomon says, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. This truth applies to us as much as it applies to Solomon. It applies directly to Crosspoint. As a growing congregation, we want the Lord to lead us. We want him to build us into a spiritual house. Even as a congregation, we're on the cusp of making a big decision. Do we move forward with the building campaign? Is, is now the time? I mean, even realizing the very practical application of this passage, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We certainly don't want our efforts and our work to be done in vain. So here's the thing, church, we must exercise dependency upon God. We come before him crying out to him. The elders have been praying for many months leading up to even even today, seeking God's direction and desire to lead the congregation in the way that God would have us to go. But but we want to make it a matter of corporate prayer. 
Because it needs to be. It needs to be a matter of corporate prayer, how we move forward. Because we realize this, if God's not in it, it's not worth it. Now that's one issue. But regarding our homes, our, our, our lives, our spiritual lives, our position must be one of dependency in every effort that we make in our lives. In every effort we have to build the church, I don't mean a building, but I I mean a holy people of God inhabited by His Holy Spirit. The church won't be built through all these different vehicles or uh, programs or uh, a great youth ministry or children's ministry, a a great missions outreach. The church won't be built through all... Those might be ways that, that God can use and vehicles that God can use But what what God wants to see is he wants to see his people filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants to see his church excited and enthralled about coming and worshiping him. He wants to see his people day in and day out living for the joy that is sent before them in Christ their Savior. He wants to see our lives transformed by the hope of the gospel so that other people that we're around in the world, they look upon us and they see a life that's different, one that's set apart from the world. That's what, that's how God grows His church. That's how people come to faith in Christ, by, by seeing the life of believers lived out, what, people who are passionate about living for God and walking with God and loving God. And so he says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We must be a people who confess God directs our labor. That must be the confession of of our lives and anything we as a church or even individuals put our hands to. We must be saying God is directing our labor and we must be living in such a way that God is directing our labor. Otherwise, our work is in vain. Do you believe that God is the one who directs and orchestrates your life? Do you believe that you can trust in him with any and everything that happens in your life? Do you believe that what he wants in your life is the best for you? Second thing I want us to see, the second confession is that God shepherds our lives. Second part of verse 1, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You know, one of the chief roles of the shepherd was to guard and to protect, right? We have this illustration of the watchman on the wall here. And it calls us to ask the question, who or what are we trusting in for our security? God is the one whose presence and protection we must seek. You see, the role of the watchman was to stand on the, on the wall and look out, look out over Jerusalem, or look out past Jerusalem from the, from the walls of Jerusalem. And, and they were to look out and see if there was an enemy that was advancing toward the city. And if they saw one, they would sound the trumpet and rally the soldiers for battle. But you know what happened? The people of Jerusalem believed their city was nearly invincible. They were sheltered by mountains and hills and rugged terrain. Jerusalem itself was built up on a plateau about 2,500 feet above sea level. The entire city was surrounded by a formidable wall. 
Any approaching enemy that was coming, if they made it through the harsh, difficult terrain, they would come up to ascend the hill of Jerusalem. And as they were coming up to ascend that hill, they would see these huge, overbearing walls, and they would even be discouraged. The people of Israel, people of Jerusalem, began trusting in their own safety. They began trusting in their self. They, they misplaced their trust. They quit looking at the shepherd. In the time of Hezekiah's reign, the northern tribes and territories had been ransacked, and Jerusalem was the only city left of the southern kingdom. But the Assyrians moved through and crushed Jerusalem, ransacking their city and destroying their temple. The reality was the people of Israel had quit trusting in God. They had quit following their shepherd, They were living lives of vanity. They had quit trusting in God and began trusting themselves. The the, the comparison isn't very difficult for us to make today. We know all too well the position of trusting in self rather than trusting in God for our protection. We read of great testimonies in the past of men of faith who would stand up and, and would call, even in high offices in our land, who would stand up and they would call men to trust in God and to cry out to God. We see today immorality running rampant within our culture, even infiltrating the church. The church has lost her distinction from the wayward culture. And like Israel, the need of the day isn't for for us to trust in our own defenses. No, the need for the day is for us to come to God, to trust in God, for he is our refuge. Listen to what Solomon says. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. He can stay up there and he can watch all night. But listen, if God's hand is removed from the city, the city will fall and it fell greatly. The most devastating day wasn't the day when Assyria ransacked Jerusalem. The most devastating day was when God removed his hand in his presence and he walked out of the temple and left the children of Israel, the people in Jerusalem, to fend for themselves. Listen, church, we must be a people who cry out to God, who seek him as our shepherd, who are so dependent upon him that we we cry out to him like Isaiah the prophet would cry out, Woe is me! Woe are we! I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Listen, as the spiritual house of God, even as a kingdom of priests we saw a few weeks ago, we are to be the ones crying out on behalf of the world. We're to be the ones representing God to the world. Our confession must be God shepherds our lives. God shepherds my life. Hear what Jesus says about being the good shepherd. John 10, 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Let me give you a question this morning. Do you you know the good shepherd, Jesus, who laid down his life that we might have eternal life? John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And listen, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And get this, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You see, when our life is hidden in Christ, 
we have one who guards our lives. We have one who eternally protects us and sustains us. We have one who gives us the certainty and the surety that he will bring us into the eternal abode of God. The third confession I want to challenge us to make this morning is God provides our rest. And we see this in verse 2. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For listen, he gives to his beloved in sleep, or he gives to his beloved sleep. You know, rest is a word we don't, we don't hear too often anymore, isn't it? We don't, I mean, we, we get tired. But no one really walks around talking about rest. It's not a focus on today. We fill our schedules with, with, with time and or we fill our schedules in time rather with so many activities that we're hard pressed to enjoy life. Even in retirement, we, we get busy, right? But here's the thing that Solomon is saying. He's calling us to see the futility of endless labor, to see the futility of of long days and short nights, which leads to eating the bread of anxious toil or or sorrow. And anxious toil comes, get this, it comes from not walking in God's way, but walking in our own ways. The one who's able to rest in God then is the one who has a deep sense of trust and peace that come from him. I think this passage confronts us today in two ways. One, it, it confronts those of us who have workaholic tendencies. It's so, so many exhibit workaholic tendencies today. But it also speaks to us practically about the amount of rest that we do or don't get, that, that which we need and learning to, to be at a place of peace and trust in God. But it speaks, more, it speaks to more than just our vocational work. It also speaks to the vain or empty things that maybe take up our time. And if we're truthful, we find ourselves living in excess with all the liberties and luxuries that are afforded to us today in in our country. And what happens? They begin encroaching on our time. They begin stealing away time from our routines. They become distractions at best. And unfortunately, they become spiritual hazards in our lives, causing us to neglect needed time with God and intimate time with the Lord. Solomon says this is vain. In fact, he says, for, for he gives to his beloved sleep. What does that look like? <laughs> to be given sleep from God. Jesus, in Mark chapter 4, verse 37 through 41, we get an idea of him having sleep and trusting in, in God's hand and God's providence It says, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, doing what? Sleeping. He was asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? See, when we have anxiety, it, it shows fear in our lives. Fear that we're not able to accomplish that which we hope for. Fear that we're not trusting in God for his good hand at work. But hear this, for those who are trusting in God, they're able to lay aside the cares of this world. And here's the point, they're able to rest. 
They're able to just rest and enjoy the blessing that God has given us. They're able to forget tomorrow's needs as far as worry goes. And worry doesn't keep them awake at night. No, they're able to get the rest that God so desires to give them. They're able to entrust all things to God. You see, here's the thing. Jesus knew he was in his father's hands. And when that happens, the waves rock you to sleep. You don't lose sleep. You're able to rest in God's good providence, trusting in his sovereign hand over our lives. Oh, that we would be a people who are able to trust in God's sovereign hand and his providence in our lives. I think about how much more joyfully might we enter the master's labor when we're resting, getting the rest we need, enjoying God's provision. The one whose life is built upon Christ is able to labor and to watch and to eat and to rest joyfully because all is done unto the glory of God. And listen, when we do all things unto the glory of God, it will be for the good of others. Let us focus on doing all things unto the glory of God. And when the peace of Christ is present in our lives, we're aided and refreshed by our rest. The second exhortation I want you to see this morning is we're encouraged to enjoy God's provision. Now, there's a connection in this psalm. The first one focuses on the house, maybe the, the place of God's dwelling, as if Solomon, as in Solomon's temple. And then he moves on in the second part of verse 1, unless the Lord watches over the city, goes from the house to the city. And then now in verse 3, returning back to the home. Blessed. Our behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Do you know that children are a gift from the Lord? They're a gift from the Lord. That's part of the reason why we had that vow today, asking parents if they trust that God is truly, or that, that their children are gifts from the Lord. You see, God is the creator of life. We read in Psalm 139, 13, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Listen, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, all the days of my life, all the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious are our children. How precious are the children of our youth, the children that God has so blessed our lives with. Think about how great a gift to our families, they are. But you know, they're also just, they're a great gift of God, even to the world. And as parents, we are to raise them to know the Lord. This speaks about the, the, the household and how we are to raise our children. Behold, children are a heritage that is a gift from the Lord. They're fruit that comes from the womb and they're a reward. One commentator had these words to say. He said, when God sees that in this poor old world, a wrong needs writing, or a truth needs preaching, or a benefit needs inventing, he sends a baby into the world to do it. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Think of the blessing of children that God sees in his providence, in his sovereignty, he sees ahead of time. They're going to need a cotton gin, so I'm going to birth Eli Whitney, Right? They need to see the beauty of, of art, so I'm going to birth Michelangelo. 
The church needs to be reformed, so I'm going to birth Luther. The world needs a savior, so I'm going to birth Christ. Most of us in here, our lives won't aspire to the level of Michelangelo or, or even Luther or other famous people that have given us great gifts that God has used to gift us. But here's what we need to focus on. God has given us a gift in our children. And as parents, he's given us a responsibility. Even as a church, as we've seen this morning, he's given us a responsibility to raise these children, to shepherd these children, to invest in them, to teach them of the Lord, to teach them of Christ who himself died for their good so that they might have eternal life. What a tremendous responsibility parents have been entrusted with. But secondly, I want you to see that not only are children a gift from the Lord, children are a responsibility from the Lord. This is probably my favorite verse in the whole psalm. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Maybe it's just because of the season of life that I'm in with, uh, with four young children, but it offers us such a tremendous picture but, you know, i got to say, not everyone is good with aiming the arrow or shooting the bow. In fact, the first time that I shot the bow, you wouldn't have wanted to be around anywhere around on the other side of me where I was aiming because I had no idea where it was going, right? It takes skill. It takes time. It takes diligence. It takes, it takes a man, a woman being diligent in the art in order to perfect taking an arrow and shooting it and it hitting the target exactly where they want it to hit. So it's a tremendous word picture for us. Parents, parents are warriors. Mighty men, mighty women of God. Think about those implications for a moment. The warriors got these arrows and these are, these are the These are the instruments and the tools that he uses in battle to protect himself. And the arrows, the the warrior is going to take these arrows out. And these arrows have been protected. I mean, he's worked diligently with these arrows. He's he's straightened straightened the stick, the shaft on the arrow. And he's he's sharpened the point so that it's sharp and ready ready to be delivered right where he's aiming. And he wants the shaft to be straight so that the arrow will fly straight. So this warrior takes great care in these arrows and making sure that that they're they're in the right shape and the right length and weigh the right amount. They work hard in training and and discipline themselves to learn how to direct the arrows. The skilled warrior takes into account the distance of the target and the wind and the direction and he looks at the landscape. The warrior is accountable and responsible for ensuring that his arrows are sharp and ready at a moment's notice. He's responsible to take care of them, to protect them. And this parallels our responsibility as parents, doesn't it? Like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior, so are the children of one's youth. We have a few formidable years, parents, to invest in our children. Congregation, we have a few formidable years to grab those children and and take them to lunch and to invest in them, and as they get into the teen years, to pour into them and invest in them. We have a few formidable years for that. And our responsibility as parents, even as a congregation, hear what what Proverbs 7 says, My son, 
Keep my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 7. I love Proverbs 23, 6. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. It calls us to be responsible and diligent as parents to shape and to mold our children, getting them ready for the day that they are released into the world. And when they are released into the world, they're flying for the target where you've intended and shot them and released them. The question is, what is that target? Are we aiming them to see God's design and plan and work in their lives? Are we teaching them to trust in God's sovereignty and in his providence? Are we seeking to show them how unless God is in it, it's done in vain? Is that the trajectory that we're setting the arrows? Is that the trajectory that we as parents are raising our children to to follow and to see? Not everyone can make arrows go where they desire. It takes skill. It takes diligence. But here's the thing. By God's grace, by God's grace, we can and we will. So I want to encourage you parents to be diligent in the work of teaching and leading and instructing your children. Finally, I want you to see that children are a benefit to our lives. Verses, verse 5. The word there in verse 5, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This word blessed means happy. And here are the effects of, of right training and Godward direction fleshed out in the home. Happiness. Blessed is the man, the, the man whose quiver is full of them. Our quiver is four at, full at four. Your quiver may be full at two. Maybe one if God sees to bless you with one child. Maybe you've already released your children out into the world. And what I... What I want us to see is that we are blessed by God. The children bring happiness into our lives because he gives us a, a, a gift in our children. And it also shows us that he gives us a defense in our children. It says they will not be ashamed. Verse 5, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Who wants to bring a charge against a man that's got a whole army of sons behind him, right? <laughs> they offer defense. They give protection. And here's the thing. The parents, the, the family that, that raises their children, training them in the Godward direction, that one is not put to shame. That one has, has the gifting of children who fill his quiver and bring him joy, bring him happiness. I think it could also be said that the more children we have, the greater opportunity for disappointment in our lives because we know that our children are not perfect. We know that our children are going to fall and to falter. But what Scripture calls us to over and over and over again as parents is to invest in our children, to teach them God's ways, to to train them up in the way they should go. 
which means investing in their lives and seeing how God has gifted them and shaping them to give praise back and glory to God. So I want to challenge us this morning. We're exhorted to trust in God's providence and we're exhorted to enjoy God's provision. And the two go hand in hand. Unless the Lord builds the city, those who build it labor in vain. We need God desperately. We need him in our lives. We need him to direct us, to lead us, to guide us. I want to close us in prayer this morning. And I want to invite you to respond to the Lord as you see fit. Maybe maybe as a parent, you need to make a commitment before the Lord to change things in your home. Maybe, believer, you need to make a commitment before the Lord that you would cry out to God desperately and, and you would be desperate for his presence as the one who, who builds in your life and shepherds you and leads you. Let me pray and you respond as the Lord leads. Father, we thank you for your goodness toward us. And Lord, we ask that by your grace, you would grant us strength, that you would lead us and direct us, and Lord, that you would teach us how to depend upon you in our lives, what that looks like, how we can trust in you and hear from you and follow you. And Lord, we cry out to you desperately saying we need you. And Lord, we ask that you you would teach us even how to follow you, that you are our shepherd and we confess that, Father. And so, Lord, we pray for your guidance. We pray for your direction. And we pray for your leadership in our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.